I'm speaking to the person inside of Reagan now. If you are there, you too are hypnotized. I must answer all my questions. Come forward and answer me now. Closer, please. Closer. Here's Johnny. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Terror Tinos. We're back. Um, my name is Mike Morales. I'm your host. And like always, I'm here with Angel DeLeon. That's it. Nothing. <laughs> uh, we're kicking off a series, a new series of just horror movies. We're getting back to our horror roots. That's what the, the initial idea of this podcast was to, to really talk about cult horror movies yeah, what better time than October, right? Halloween. I, it's funny, like it, it's it seems like the season, Halloween season, is getting is getting started earlier and earlier. It's even at the end of August, people were kind of talking about horror movies and getting ready for Halloween. Yeah, it's like it's it's more popular lately. You know what I mean? It's I don't know. If, what do you think? It's more um, acceptable to enjoy a good horror flick, or it's not like you're a weirdo for liking the genre. It's so funny because I think as we see it, maybe a decline of of superhero genre, I see a rise of horror movies, and and I think horror movies have become more popular than ever. And I think mainly mainly because I think uh, people live in, in anxiety filled times, and, and and to watch a good horror movie is to kind of get rid of your anxiety for for a few moments. And and on the most part, it feels like they're being done better. It's not just a ninety minute slasher. See how many times we can make you jump. There's more plot twists. They're even getting bigger names. You know, way better writing. I texted you the other day about a Talk to Me, which I just watched this this past week. Did you get a chance to see that? that Saw it last night, man. What do you thought? What you yeah, thought? I just did. Because uh, my yeah, my service was taking forever, so it was like a couple minutes, and it would freeze, and a couple minutes, and it would freeze. So last night, everybody was gone. Or Friday, sorry. Everybody was gone, so I finally got to do it, and uh, I loved it, man. I dug it. It was kind of... To me, it felt like a couple different um, plots from other movies put uh-huh. together, but it was done very well. And at first, I thought the accents, not just accents, but the, I thought, I got to be honest, I thought the cast was going to become annoying. <laughs> yes. And they really, they didn't because they were kind of young and fast talking and stuff. And I was like, okay, it's going to be another, you know, like hit them quick so that they don't pick up on all the little nuances It like unrealistic or cheesily done but it it hit like it hit all the marks and i i really enjoyed it i did dig it and the, the ending was cool because we could have totally used it for the types of movies we were going to discuss today yeah i know we're in this episode we're going to be talking about uh supernatural movies with kind of bummer endings or twisted endings uh yeah, but talk to me. I was really excited to watch it. It had a lot of buzz. It's it's an Australian film, like you were saying. That everyone had like these really kind of uh, you know a, pro, you know pronounced uh, Australian accents. And you know, at first, like we were like you were saying, I was like, oh, maybe it's, this is going to take me out. 
I, in fact, I, I actually loved the, the cast. I thought everyone was really great. It's a you know, it's, it's set around a group of young uh, kids, and it's kind of like a modern day take on the uh, Ouija board, or you know, using a uh, an idol or using some kind of uh, um, uh, in this case, it's it's a hand uh, to to talk to spirits. And what I really enjoy is that they got addicted to it and it becomes almost a metaphor for drugs or whatever, you know, or getting, becoming addicted to it and using it as to get clout on social media. Everyone has their phone, you know, uh, it's, it's, it was good. It was, I was surprisingly good. And I, I think uh, a lot of these other horror movies, when they're, especially when they're dealing with teenagers, it feels maybe the teens are not too relatable or doesn't even feel real or the, you know, and, and in this case, I talked to me really felt like the, the kids would react in a very realistic way, they would get addicted to this stuff. You know, they're not necessarily scared of the of talking to spirits. But when you actually physically watch it, that was some scare. Like if I was in that room and I watched it happen, I would be, you know, I'd be Jesse Owens, and you know, I, that shit was scary. But yeah. then it was kind of like it's one of those um, not mob mentalities, but if you you could feel it but then when you look around and nobody else is freaking out then you it calms you down you know you're like okay maybe this maybe there's something i don't know it's the peer pressure of of trying to uh, trying to fit in and also you know because everyone's having a good time you don't want to like uh rain on people's par- parade but yeah you don't um, want to be that guy that you don't want to be that guy <laughs> you know, yeah. so that's and, and, other, and that's another sense that 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 uh that felt a little bit more real than most most horror movies yeah, great acting. Like I don't know if they've been in other stuff, and I just you know maybe Australian stuff I haven't got a hold of or mm-hmm. seen. But the, uh, dude, they that was a that was a strong cast. I mean, very believable. Very, I mean, great acting all the way around. Uh, the only one I thought I might have recognized was the mom. Yes, she's but um, then Miranda Otto. She is from Lord the Lord of the Rings films. Oh, she's the one that Aragon fell. Yeah. She, yeah. Okay. That one, or she looks so familiar. And I'm sure she's done a lot of other other movies too. But yeah, she was probably the most famous, or at least to me, the most famous person in the, in the cast. You know when um, uh, what was his name? Uh, Grimly, <laughs> right? That's the the dwarf. The, yeah. When he uh, when he tells her he fell, you know, I cried in the movie theater. <laughs> You're with me. I don't think you saw it, but yeah, it was so sad. He's like, "Where's Lord Aragon?" And then he's like, "He fell," and I was like, "Oh shit!" It's like. I got some butter in my eyes, man. <laughs> Dude, I, you know what's the saddest part? If I watch it right now, I'd still cry. <laughs> Dude, I don't know. I'm not even like a like a dorky like kid. But, dude, that and I was an adult when we watched those flicks. <laughs> right, I know. God, right. they were so good, man. And I never read the books or nothing. I oh, I don't know why they got me so good. I don't know. <laughs> I, Sorry, don't, I, I, remember, I remember uh, there were a couple of times in the, in the whole series that they, they got me. I mean, the death of... Uh, of Sean Bean was uh, like in, oh, yeah, in the yeah. first movie. It was like fantastic. Or me, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we would definitely recommend Talk to Me. It's one of the one of the better horror movies that came out this year. I think it even uh, it, even though that we had like a really good slate of horror films last year, I think this one also ranks up there with the last couple of years, really. Yes. So hopefully these these companies they're seeing that there's money to be made because I'm all about horror, dude. Just the more you put out, I, and it's funny because I'll watch. The shittiest ones too, just to see if there's any kind of silver lining or like I can watch a movie and it was, it was just a train wreck, but I'm like, dude, the story was so fucking good. <laughs> you know what I mean? If someone could get the story and remake it, you know what I mean, and put some time and some 
better acting and writing and special effects. But you'd swear that this uh, Talk to Me was like an A24 film. Yes, I think it was. Think Are you sure? Oh, yeah, they're putting out some good shit. I don't want to believe it, but... Because I don't want to get trendy. <laughs> Remember, like, when we watched Pulp, dude? We watched Pulp twice in the theater, and nobody was talking about it. And then all of a sudden it blew up, and we were like, oh. Thank God I didn't give up on it. I still love it. But it was pretty... It was hard to just, like, mothers and just dorks walking around. Oh. <laughs> talking about the movie and i'm like you don't appreciate it uh let's get to the 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 two movies that we picked for this episode so down and dirty let's start with day Uh, they is a a supernatural thriller we're also going to be talking about the mist which is a, a really great stephen king adaptation but let's start with day first hello billy what's wrong i'll come and meet you I don't, I don't think we should stay here. Why not? You remember those night terrors that we used to have? What, when we were kids? It's just a power surge from the storm. No, it's not. You had night terrors as a kid, right? Well, we're wondering if... What? If you've had any recent night terrors. Us too. I've been studying Billy's diary. Now, don't you think it's possible that something that scared us as kids has come back? To collect us. Listen to me. You hear a baby crying, you hear a kid crying, you keep moving, okay? Children can sense them. It's your warning. This is a Wes Craven uh, Presents. This is a 2002 film. And it's a movie that you suggested to watch. And I never actually heard of this film before. Dude, I thought a lot of people had seen it because it was on a lot of platforms. Oh. And it's kind of like I had, yeah, it was. Like, right when I looked for it now, I couldn't find it, of course, for the rewatch. But <laughs> um, it was like one of those things that would come up every time I was just, I'd turn on Prime or Netflix, you know what I mean? It was just always there. Because I always go to the horror, and it was always there. It was always, an, it's an easy watch, too. It's, what, 90-something minutes? Yeah, really quick film, really quick uh yeah. Taste. <laughs> I at least appreciated that for that aspect. Now, did you, you you so you didn't watch this when it came out in theaters or or, or, or... no no I don't I don't even remember it no I just remember seeing it but I mean this was something you stumbled on on maybe a... like 2005 I saw it oh so very early on then yeah yeah but just not in the theaters okay so you definitely rented rented this yeah. or or you you stumbled on this on a on a DVD or something like that it might have been like I think I want to say when like. God, does this match the time frame for um, Redbox oh. or Netflix when it first came out as uh, discs? Could be. Could I want be. to say it might have been one of those. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah. Could have been. It was certainly at the end of 2000s that Netflix started doing their disc thing. Pop. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I do, I do remember watching it and then it showing up everywhere. Or that's what it felt like. So I thought maybe it grew in popularity. So to find out that a lot of people hadn't seen it was weird. <laughs> so I just assumed everybody saw it. It's it's, it's funny because when you you said let's 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 t- let's dive into they, I'm like, first I thought you said I thought you were talking about they live, which is the John Carpenter yeah. film. And I go they, what I never even heard of the movie at all. And so, you know, and that's what's so great about this podcast, or at least for me, that you know, I wanted to be surprised. And this is actually our first time really talking about films that are outside of '80s and '90s, the films that we kind of grew up on, because you know, we're not 
always going to be talking about those movies. We want to talk about some of the things we have recently saw. saw. And uh, um, they, again, just a, a surprise a, a selection from you. What is it about this movie that, you know, that, that came came to mind and uh, that you want to talk about? Yeah, you know what? Um, there was uh, like four or five films right around the same time that were quick hits, 90 minutes, kind of dealt with the same thing, like childhood traumas and then a secondary, like bigger plot where they're adults and now they're either trying to save a sibling or a friend, one of those type of things. This one stood out the most because I, I thought it was probably better presented and better written. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, I just, I, I love the storyline to it. I liked it. It started out and then it, it picked up later on when they're adults. It's like everybody separates and then they kind of come, she's drawn back to like a, like the, the protagonist or mm -hmm. the main character. Mm -hmm. She rekindles with a, a, a childhood friend that went through a trauma or they had gone through traumas. It had nightmares type of thing. And I, I dug the fact that they use somebody else to kind of like ignite the time frame. Something bad happened, then they forget about it, and then it starts again. But I don't like when it starts again slowly on the main character. I like that she's pulled in, picks up again with her. I I, I, I dug that, and I like the I like the way it progresses. It um it, it it's a real easy story. I mean, I don't even know if you want to go into it where, like, they have these night terrors that these like almost like. These things come for them like when they're kids. Like, you know, the boogeyman, the thing under your bed, thing in the closet. But what the movie is, yeah, the movie kind of deals with night terrors or, or deals with what, what monsters lurk in the darkness. Uh, Wes Craven, I don't think he's really that involved with the production. He just kind of lends his name as a, as an executive producer. This really was uh, directed by Robert Hardman, who is the guy who directed uh, the kind of cult horror thriller my favorite flick, dude. <laughs> this Hitcher. is my favorite '80s flick, The Hitcher. The Hitcher, right? The Hitcher. Yeah, The Hitcher. The C. Thomas Howell, Rugger Howard. Yes. Rugger Howard, baby. <laughs> He's back. I guess who I saw this with? My freaking mom, dude. Oh, she liked this movie too. She fucking loved it. She made not made me watch it, but I mean, <laughs> I, dude, I had no business watching this. When did it came out? Like '86 something. I was like nine or ten. Oh, the, you, I must have watched Hitcher, it a million Hitcher. times. Yeah, The Hitcher because because the Rugger yeah. Howard. But that's uh, what I'm saying. <laughs> fan base there. The uh -huh. fan obsession. Exactly, dude. And if you guys haven't seen the original Hitcher, because, dude, we're talking about Sean Bean. They remade one with Sean Bean, what, what five, six, yeah, maybe a couple ten years ago? Yeah. And it was cool, but the original is by far the best, dude. So this is the same director. He he knows his stuff. He knows how to direct horror movies. And it's, so you know, look, I'm not, I, I, look, I, I didn't hate this movie, but, you know, I, I didn't love it that much. But I think it's a well-made movie. I think it's really, really good. It was surprisingly good for for the time, and I, and I yeah. surprisingly good for the special effects. I, I thought the special effects in the movie because you know we're dealing with cr some kind creatures. of weird creatures in the in the darkness, and I think there were CGI, and I think it played out pretty well. So it's it's well done. I love the cast. Yeah, because if you're and if you're gonna do CGI, you do it fast and you do it dark, and you do it kind of like Jaws. You want to kind of have this these images spurst out, you know, and it builds the tension a lot. I think yeah, it, I do. I, I dig it too. It's, yeah. it's very well done, and I, I like the cast a lot. I mean, the the main star here is a, a woman named Lauren Regan, who I'm not too familiar with. Uh, she's a TV actress. So, I mean, if you look at her cre uh, credentials, she's mostly a TV person, and uh, she, I guess she was in a, a movie called uh, Dead Silence. 
which you that's also like recommend. My, that's my. That's <laughs> so good, dude. So, and it's so funny because she's barely in the movie, but that movie's a great flick. It's such a cool little. That's you know what it is. It's like I like that kind of horror movie where it's like a, it's like a what do you call it? like a quick hitter. Uh huh. Like you know you got a little less than two hours. You want something that's gonna kind of be like ooh, like dude, that was cool. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And this rings that bell. Dead Silence is um. Uh, Dead Silence is probably even because I just watched it the other day. It's probably even <laughs> a more fitting movie than they because of the ending for this uh, topic. Uh huh. The, you know, basically like unhappy endings or dark like and twisted, disturbing endings. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like when you—it's it's like the movies that we used to watch when it was over. Like, man, that was fucked up. You know, what I mean? it's like you, you don't walk away with the good taste in your mouth. You're like, shit. <laughs> well, I think Day makes a good pairing with The Mist because I think they're both films are dealing with the supernatural, is dealing with this kind of unknown, and you got these uh, main characters who are trying to, you know come a grips with, with that problem and, and, you know, try to figure out what the hell's going on. And so they is more kind of traditionally a early 2000, actually it feels like a nineties horror film uh, uh, um, because it's, you know, it's, I mean, it came out in 2002, so it's not that far from the nineties, but it's just kind of one of these films that are well-made, nice uh, visually, great cast. I would say the, the first half was not that great, but like that really kind of the third act of the movie when it starts really to get going, I thought it was really well done. Um, and it's very simple. It's just a simple movie. Yeah, very simple plot, everything. Let's talk a little bit about the the, the story ideas. You know, you were talking about night terrors, you know, and the movie's ta- is talking about kind of having these these fears of the darkness. Is that what some of the things that kind of got to you while while watching the movie? Well, what I really liked was that it was like, you know, because everybody has night terrors and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So it's kind of like, not night terrors, but just nightmares. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that she co- she stumbles across the fact that they get marked. Oh, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, so like, and it's funny because um, one of the side characters is that um, Ethan Embry. Yes, from the American Pie movies. Yeah, exactly. He's more famous, for, or not more famous, but he's more known for those kind of roles, like little comedy coming of age type of things. I thought he was really good in this. And it's so funny because he's in a movie called Late Phases or Night of the Wolf. So like, there's only two semi-horror flicks I recognize this guy from. But he's like a solid actor. Yeah. He just, I think he got typecast for those, you know, the the silly guy in the, you know, the teenager movie. But he's good in that. And uh, like, there's a couple of scenes where he's just, he's got like a fear in his eye that's very believable, dude. And I... Uh, and that's it's just like the talk to me we were talking about. It's these were younger actors, and I actually thought they did real good scenes. Like there's, there's also like the the roommate for Embry, the the girl that paints or whatever when she's in the pool. Yes, the pool scene is probably she, the best thing about the movie. Yeah, and she does, she does a great job in that, dude. I was scared shitless. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I sometimes I, I find myself in my one piece solo <laughs> swimming in the pool, so I so, get her fear, you know. So basically, there's a group of friends here who are all, su- you know, when they were kids, they're all suffering from night terrors. They think, or they come up with this I, uh, this theory that these creatures have marked them 
and now they have come back as they're now adults and they're coming back and they want, I guess they want to either complete the mission of, of killing them or whatever they're going to do, suck their souls. We don't really know, but that part reminds me of Jeepers Creepers kind of like where like, you know, the creeper, he scares everybody, but there's only certain ones he wants. It was, it was interesting when I was watching, I go, Oh, is it kind of like aliens? Is this kind of like an extraterrestrial encounter? It really is kind of left to, no, I guess they do kind of answer. It's maybe another dimension or inter interdimensional kind of creatures. I don't know. It's it's not fully explained what what these creatures are, but they definitely live in the dark, and they're out to to scare the shit out of these people. And like you were saying, the pool scene is probably the best thing about uh, what I really loved. It's and it's very much an homage to some of those '40s monster movies. You know, where it's all about kind of the mood, it's all about like sound effects, and it's all about kind of uh, paranoia. Yeah, and they do the the whole trick with the lights off and on. And, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's so funny because when you were talking about the basically where the creatures come from or why, like what they are or whatever. Um, okay, I saw this. There's another movie that I saw just randomly. IFC Midnight type of deal. Mm-hmm. Midnight Mid- Meat Train. You ever seen that one? Oh, yeah, yeah, A long time ago, yeah. <laughs> Great flick, right? With the Bullet Tooth Tony. But, <sighs> dude, those creatures reminded me a lot of those things, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And the subway scene where she's looking for the thing. And then in the Midnight Meat Train, you know how it goes to the end of the line and he's basically feeding those creatures? Okay, right? You know, so I, don't, I don't remember. I draw- <laughs> Is that the, the, the yeah. Bradley Cooper one, right? The Bradley Cooper? Yeah, yeah. He's a photographer. Yeah. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. I, and I, he I, catches, like... He catches the 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 guy that works at the meat plant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's yeah, it's like basically the last train, and he finds like the stragglers on it. He kills them and like basically prepares them, and you don't know why. You just figure he's a psycho, oh, but then you find yeah, out he's yeah. feeding those things at the end of that one weird train line. I gotta watch that again. And yeah, it was a great flick. And I think that I think it was, I watched it the same way I watched it. They it just kind of showed up on a platform. It's it's it. I think. Um, the best thing now is when you watch a flick and you like it, it has that little part that says customers also watched, or if you like this, you <laughs> Recommendations, might like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, there's sometimes they're so good. It's better than um, just like reading reviews mm-hmm. because it's like, okay, I like this one. So people like this. They also like this. You know, I'm in it. And I, I, that's that's how Midnight Me Train came up for me. And when I saw that it was... um. Uh, I know his name's not Bulletooth, Tony. Uh, oh, God. Vinny Jones. Vinny Jones. Yeah. I, yeah, Vinny Jones. I dig him. So I'm like, dude, I'm going to check this out. And I like, um, yeah. Um, I like the cast. So that movie, in that movie, just, it's it's a lot like they, where it's real simple, but cool. And the effects are awesome. Like when he's like basically destroying the people on the train. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, as soon as he, like, they showed the first scene on that movie, I was in. <laughs> I think he hit somebody with a mallet and their eyeball pops through. Well, you, you know, you bring up a good point that the, there are, like, these low-budget, mid-budget kind of horror films that are kind of taking space on these uh, uh, streaming sites. I think maybe to most people are just kind of, like, uh, mediocre or throwaway movies. But I think to horror fans, they, they do serve a purpose. They do serve uh, a, a good way to get a little bit of a scare. And I think they fits that bill. Yeah, and you know what sucks? I think a lot of people, when they see it, they're kind of like, oh, 
you know, I never heard of it. It must not be good. Oh, yeah, that's true. Which is a horrible way to think about it, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Dude, we've watched movies because we've heard how horrible they are. (laughs) Just because we want to make sure that it's that bad. But what what was it about they that kind of popped up? I mean, it was such a random pick from you. It's it's, for me, it's the ending because I was thinking, like, a, a happy movie always has a happy ending. But even most horror movies have a happy ending because the bad thing got killed or you know what i mean they beat it whatever but then when you think about it most most better well done horror movies even after that happens there's a little a little fuck you at the end you know like a little (laughs) like even dude even one of my favorite movies all time i don't know about you but first nightmare you know how they uh, beat Freddy, blah blah blah. But then that very last scene, where he gets car. sucked up in the in the w- window. It's kind of like uh, Carrie. Yeah, the, it's like Carrie with that little nightmare with the hand coming out of the grave. The hand, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's what I mean. You you can't on a on a good horror movie. You can't leave feeling good. Yeah, you know what I mean. It can't just. It doesn't work. You need the little that little like. Is it really dead? Or you know what I mean? Like ah. And they does have a like a kind of a, a little twisty ending at the at the very end part of this movie where they kind of explain. Yeah, and more than that, it's not just it's not just like a like a leave you wanting. It's like they they screw over the main person. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I dug that dude. But it, to me, it reminded me a lot of the way Talk to Me ended. Yeah, Talk to Me has a light little uh, like I would say a Easter egg or maybe like a a you know a little kind of epilogue that has a really nice touch. To kind of wrap the whole movie yeah. together, it's 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 great. It's great. Um, yeah. Here's my notes for they when I was watching. I kept I kept a little bit of notes and it says, "Cool opening scene. Feels like a Bloomhouse thriller. It does have like a really cool opening scene with the with the kid. He's afraid of, of a monster under the bed, and it, it it was really well done. Yeah, you know what? Do you see the movie? Um, I want to say Darkness with about the Tooth Fairy, where there's a little kid in the room. I don't think I saw that one. Yeah, it, dude, it it's it's like the same exact beginning, <laughs> and I I think when I first watched it, day, I thought I was watching that movie. Yeah, they were they were all like the same almost movie, but <laughs> I just thought they stood out to me better. There is something cool about monsters under the bed, or this idea that you know, you know, a child can only see monsters and adults can't, and I don't know. I just kind of love that concept, and th- I think this movie has a great concept. But what's weird about the monsters under the bed is you don't have to be told that as a kid. Mm-hmm. It's this weird innate fear that we get on our own, you know? Yeah, it's also about silence. It's also about being by ourselves. It's being also about kind of being isolated. I, there's many of times where I go to the bathroom and I take a piss and I look at the mirror and I see the shower uh, curtain. <laughs> And I have to open it. I have to fucking open it because I, I, I yeah. and You know what the worst part is? You have to open it. And you're like, there's nothing there. And God fucking forbid there was something there. You know what I mean? It's like you, you have to do it. And you even tell yourself, ah, oh, this is so stupid. And yeah. so you're really not expecting something there. But the what? I mean, imagine if you did. Holy shit. Would that would be out. the worst. But that's the thing. You're opening it to make sure there's no one there. But seriously, if you saw like a billion to one that there's something in there, 
So why would you even take that chance? You know what I mean? Just pee, hurry the fuck up, and run back to your bed. You know? Do you really want to know, basically, if there's someone there? You don't. You well, know? I think that's what's so great about these two movies that we picked, because it, it is about needing to know, and maybe maybe it's best not to know. And um, so, I don't know. I, I kind of enjoyed the whole the concept of, of monsters under the bed, all the you know, what lies in the darkness. Uh, also, in my notes... Crying babies. They they mention crying babies yeah. are signs. Crying babies and flickering lights and stuff. Yes, these are signs of 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 something's going on, and they know something's up. <laughs> what do you thought about that? But you know what, dude? That's always like a wives' tale too for um airplanes, right? Oh yes, maybe yeah. yes. They know they, something yeah, that we don't know. Exactly, like they've tapped into something. You walk onto it's, a it's, plane, all crying babies. Get the fuck out. Yeah, <laughs> get the fuck out. <laughs> but you know what I like about that? I like that it's kind of like we've lost that. As a baby, you're more basic. Mm. So that's something that you pick up on. But as you get older and basically life and everything around you dulls you. You know what I mean? The same thing with like survival and animals. That I, I dig that part of the human tragedy that we we make ourselves weaker. Are we, we become less, I don't know, less uh, uh, uh... in tune? intuitive yes less intuitive to to something susceptible yeah also in my notes i got a bathroom mirror there's a scene in with a bathroom mirror that becomes the door it's kind of like a i guess a dream sequence it, it, the, the bathroom mirror becomes a door to a, a dark dimension and she gets a an image or a vision of, of this this kind of um other world other other world yeah. and you get the creatures and stuff and I, I thought there's something about bathroom mirrors, and I talked about how my, my fear of people in the, in, in the shower stall. But there is something about bathroom mirrors, and it's a, it's a scene that's very similar to a, 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 an original Candyman, where the bathroom mirror becomes mm-hmm. this gateway. What is about bathroom mirrors that, that freaks, her, I don't uh, think fr- it's freaks us out? Just the bathroom. I think it's the reflection. Mm-hmm. It's like an inner look, you know what I mean? Inner demon type of stuff where it's like, uh, don't believe what you see. Because, dude, I'm a sucker for the whole mirror thing. And, like, uh, there's a movie out. It's I can't remember what it's called. But this chick has almost like a doppelganger and it comes through the mirror. But there's, like, a part where she's looking at the mirror, you know, and it's her reflection. And then she leaves, but the image stays. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. What dude, was that? I am a sucker for that shit, dude. Like every time I'm like, oh shit, did you get, you know what I mean? And I'm like, if it's, if it's like I'm watching on TV, I like, like rewind it, you know, like, oh, gotta rewind that shit, you know, like, like I make sure everybody saw it and was, has the same reaction that I did. Cause I know it's just a camera trick, dude, but I fucking love that stuff, dude. I love it. Just like when there's, there's, it's like a close up shot of the girl. And she drops something and she bends over to pick it up. And then the killer's behind her, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then she's, and of course she stands back up again. And then she turns around and he's not there. Like, I'm a sucker for that shit, dude. Put, make a movie just of that shit and I'm watching it, dude. Yeah, I mean, I uh-huh. think, I think mirrors the reflection of ourselves that all plays in it. You know, you bring up doppelganger and that's kind of like in the, in, in the zeitgeist right now. That's in the conversation right now. Uh, you know, I guess maybe because of the times we live in, we live in this kind of abstract world now. And it's, a lot of it's just anxiety. It's a, lot, a lot of it is about, you know, you know, the pandemic, which is went through the pandemic. You know, we're dealing with job insecurities and, and we just have this, whole, you know, horrific fucking anxiety. And I think we live we think we live in an alternative world. 
and everything feels phony and everything feels like mirrored. And, and I, people have mentioned doppelgangers and like politicians and, and, and celebrities are, are clones. They're not the real people. They're, they're fake. There was just a rumor about Jamie Foxx as a clone because he just got it. You know, he just hit, he was sick for, for, for a couple months and now he's, you know, he's back in the public eye and. I don't so know. So you think it's like a like a rich people thing too? Maybe. Like, I don't know. I think it, it, we're just more like accept- growing clones. <laughs> Do we, I don't know. I think we're living in a more uh, uh, um, conspiracy laden world, or, or we're more acceptable and, to conspiracies right now. And you know what's crazy too? You got to remember, like they say, you know, everybody has a twin. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But before social media and everybody having cameras. We would never fucking find it. You know what I mean? You don't think there's a twin that lives on the next block. Right. They're talking like somewhere in the world. But now with all this media and instant, like you can, you know, like live streaming and stuff. There's been like people who people found their twins. Their yeah, that's what I'm saying. There, so there's people who found their find. twins or triplets and, and they didn't even realize that they were a twin and they were separated at birth. I mean, there's are these amazing stories about how these people have reunited. Yeah, wasn't there the, the guy on the airplane? Right, it's like a white guy with a beard, and all of a sudden somebody was like, like I think a stewardess did like a double take, and then brought one to the other, and it was like holy shit! Like the guys looked at each other, but I don't know if they were actually related, but they were like identical. I don't know. It's just a weird times that we live in, and maybe because we're getting closer together because of social media, we're all connected. You and Brad Pitt. <laughs> yes, I know. I, a lot of people have said that. <laughs> I'm hurt. I can't even go to the grocery store anymore. I'm harassed. <laughs> No, but I think I, I, uh, um, I don't. There's a dark side to it. Also, we're making fun, but we're, we're, there's a dark side of, of falling for this kind of conspiracies as well. Yeah, <laughs> that's what sucks too. Is that even things that they could be totally harmless in nature, uh-huh. somebody's gonna figure out a way to make it like evil or yeah. nefarious. Just to, it's just like I'd like these fucking these scammers on the phone with. Oh. Uh, and oh, AI, okay. the the power of AI. Now they could just dude. This shit is scary. Yeah, they could just yeah. steal your identity and your. I mean, literally, just steal your identity and your voice and make it sound like you're calling for help and mo- you need money or something like that. You know, it's just terrible. Uh, dude, it's terrible. Uh, oh man, and I know people that have been taken by that shit, and mm-hmm. it's just sad. And it's these aren't these aren't the most gullible people, or they just it is what it is. Is what they prey on is like. Like your worst fears, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just fuck, dude. I hate those people. <laughs> I hate anybody that takes advantage of of like somebody's shortcoming or mm-hmm. like that gets gets what they want by like fear, intimidation. Fuck, man, I hate that shit. Well, I mean, unless you want to add something to uh, to they, let's move on. Yeah, no, no. I would just I was the same. My biggest note for they was the <laughs> the subway scene. Because I just, it, it, it was so weird that Midnight Me Train was so close to that. But other than that, I, I dig it. It's not like something that's going to change your life, the movie. But it's it was a great, like, if you got a good 90 minutes and you want to watch something that's cool, I would definitely give it a look. I'll watch it again. <laughs> I mean, you keep, you keep on watching it. Yeah. <laughs> I do, dude. It's like, dude, my wife said something the other day that was funny. She watched the movie and then I said... Or she, we were doing something. And I said, "Hey, don't you remember blah blah blah?" And she's like, "What?" And I go, "You saw so and so." She goes, "Yeah, I, I saw it, but I didn't memorize it." And I told her, "If it's good enough to watch once, it's good enough to watch fifteen times." 
and it's like who i don't uh it's to me it's weird if i'm like oh yeah that movie was good it's really odd to not watch it a second time like i'm not saying right afterwards but, but if but, you liked it once, you'll like it again. When you rewatch rewatch these movies like multiple times, like say your third or fourth time, is it just you put it on the background or, or are you still paying attention to the movie? It's mostly the background, but in my head, it's kind of like uh, I will pick up on something that I hadn't noticed before, but I'm not watching 100%, uh, I guess, 100% of my attention to the movie. Mm-hmm. So it's it's more than more than half his background. You know what I mean? I'll be doing something else, and I'll be watching that in the background, unless it's like something where I want like somebody to watch it. Mm-hmm. Like though, I'll be like talking about it, or it'll come up, and they're like, "Oh, I never saw it." I'm like, "Holy shit, dude! Next time you come over, we gotta watch it." <laughs> so when they come over, you know what I mean? On that thing, I'll watch it again. But, I mean, most of the time I'm looking at them to see if they have like the same kind of reactions I had when I first saw it. I do that too. I like. If I love a movie and I I I would you know recommend something to my family members and say hey you should watch it it is like watching it again for the first time through their eyes you know yeah that's the best way to watch because <laughs> but you, then you get mad dude when they don't like the same oh, shit that you like yeah or, are they kind of like I, I, can you turn this off <laughs> you know like get uh, the fuck out of here <laughs> or say dude where are you on your phone man get off your phone you're gonna miss it. but you're I don't want to be that you're guy miss this part you're gonna miss this part. yeah I hate that dude like when Tony used to do that to us. <laughs> Like I the worst thing in the fucking world is if he saw a movie before me, because not only would he do that, but he'd be like, "Dude, dude, watch, 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 watch." You know what I mean? Like, dude, he's about to do something. Just you gotta watch him. Like, you totally killed the fact that it was supposed to be like a surprise. You know what I mean? Uh, once again, one of those things I hate, but I do. <laughs> All right, so that was they, which should be available. Uh, it's, although right now it's not available anywhere. Uh, yeah, I couldn't find it. I gotta dig it. I had to dig it up. But it should be available in streaming services at pretty, probably pretty soon. Uh, the Mist, on the other hand, well, I actually saw this on Pluto TV, which is an ad-based free service. Oh, actually, yeah, no, I think it's on. Actually, freebie. it's on Freebie. Yes, I actually, yeah, I, you know, what? it's on both. It's uh, I did I, I did watch it on Freebie, but it's on both. So they're probably the same company. It's probably <laughs> you ever notice that? yeah, the, the the same movies are on the same. You know what I mean? So it's the yeah, same it's package. The it's the same package deal. <laughs> now listen, everybody, we are experiencing some kind of disaster. No, it's the end of days. Oh my God! Something in the mist. Shut the doors. Shut the doors. I don't know whether it's man-made or natural, but I do know that it's definitely not supernatural. There's nothing out there. Nothing in the midst. Unless you're wrong. Then I guess the joke would be on me. Well, that's what going down the wrath of God! This is a movie that I, I kept on watching. This is one of my favorite movies of the last 20 years or so. I actually, Really? I don't know you dig it that much, man. It's I, a good flick. I, it's good. I love it. I'm a big fan of Frank Darabont. So this is directed by Frank Darabont. It's, he also adapted from a Stephen King uh, short story. And Frank Darabont is mostly na- mostly known for directing a, a, a Shawshank Redemption, mm-hmm. which is also based on a a Stephen King short story. I don't know if people 
know that. And uh, he also did Green Mile, which is another movie kind of based on a King short films or short story. Yeah, he did the uh, a lot of the writing, right? Like the adaptation. Yes, he, the film. Yes, yeah. yes. And he, you know, before he directed, he 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 wrote the screenplay for or co-wrote uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street three, Dream Warriors. He also did the Blob uh, remake and um, Fly two. <clears throat> so he's definitely someone who has horror background. Yeah, it says that. Uh... Uh, sorry, real quick, uh, that he did some writing for um, uh, Walking Dead, right? Yes, he's the guy, after The Mist, he, uh, and that's why a lot of the ca- same cast members in The Mist went on to star in The Walking Dead. But yes, he after The Mist, he w- worked on the first two seasons of The Walking Dead. He is the guy who actually created, or he adapted the, the comic book. And he because of uh, negotiation deals, he had problems with the producers and the, and the network. He was he he was kind of uh, fired or he left the the production, but it, um, that's yeah, why I, I, that, I think that's why walking. Yeah, and I think that's why the the first two seasons of The Walking Dead is probably the best seasons. Yeah, because it because it had the Frank Darabont uh, vision, but um, and and it progressed. It yeah, didn't fucking regurgitate the same. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it sucked because I love that show, and then by what season six, I'm like. It's the same. Okay, I almost it's... wish they would all die. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because, like, it's still it's still going on. There's still spinoffs. Uh... Dude, what sucks is when it starts to make money. <laughs> the worst thing that a show can do is be popular and make money because then you lose all creativity. Just like Lost, dude. You just... It's, <laughs> it's, it's an advertising cash cow, so they want to keep making that money. So why end it or progress the story when you can just keep people watching for seasons and... Just keep making money. Well, I'm I'm actually a a sucker for The Walking Dead. I've been watching it, and uh, I do like you and Jim. <laughs> I do like the uh, Norman Norman Reedus uh, spinoff. The the Dale. oh, I wanted to check that out. Do it's, you have to no, be current on no, Walking Dead to watch? No, that? because okay. he's in France for some reason. Yeah, because that's where people from the south go. <laughs> <laughs> he's in France, and it's and, and I think the the new location actually makes it better. It just makes a, a, a different okay. show, and it kind of. Rem- if, wait, did you did you like uh, um, the Last of Us on HBO? Uh, yeah, but I used to like the the video game. Uh, yeah, and I never really played it. It's funny. I've seen people play it, and I know the premise of the video game, and I always thought it was really cool. So yeah, I like the and dude, fuck, what's his face? Um, Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal, yes, yeah, yeah. Dude, that guy is amazing, dude. Even dude, I don't watch Saturday Night Live anymore. <laughs> but when he hosted it, I watched it in that Mario parody. Mario Kart was amazing, dude. <laughs> so if you like The Last of Us, I think you would kind of like Daryl Dixon, the spinoff series, because it's very similar. He's a, he's a survivor. He has to take care of a little kid. There's nuns, French nuns. You know, so, so <laughs> it's got everything you'd want in a movie, in a show. So I, so far I liked it. Uh, it's only saw the first two episodes and it's not that bad. Um, to get Dude, back, back. Okay. Yeah. Back to Frank. You forgot about one of our best friends. Favorite movie lines of all time was in a movie that the guy has writing credits on. And that would be Frankenstein. The Mary Shelley one with De Niro. Oh yes. Yes. What was uh, Frank the Garrett? He's, what was the line? Garrett had one like, um, don't bother to scream. <laughs> don't you remember him saying that yeah. constantly? 
And I think he even butchered it. I think that it wasn't even that, but that was how he took the line. And I think the first time he said it, dude, he was drunk off his ass. And we were doing, like, movies. Yeah. And that's the only thing that came to his head. Don't bother. And I think he just got right in, like, Tony's face or something. He's like, don't bother to scream. And we were, <laughs> we were like, shit, I think that's from Frankenstein. <laughs> Oh, uh, that's hilarious. It's so funny when a rookie tries. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it was a great movie, but that's all I think about when I think about that movie is Garrett saying that stupid line. I remember, now you, now you mention it, I fucking totally remember him doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and there's so much better. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a part where the guy's walking and bumps into the guy and says, why don't you watch where I'm going? <laughs> I figured he would pick up on that one. That was more his style, but he did the don't bother to scream. But I mean, th- so that guy, he's got some really good writing chops then, man. Yes. Frank Darabont, I think he's a, a classical filmmaker and the missus, it's not the same type of movies that he's done before. It's, I mean, it's a monster movie. It's, a, it's definitely an homage to the 1950s uh, horror films, but it's done in a way where it's almost kind of like a, a guerrilla filmmaking Give give me your uh, impression of of the mist. I mean, what what was your thoughts of watching the movie for the first time back and back in the day? It, dude, it was amazing. Um, you can see the story is it's not it's it's a basic concept, but the flow is amazing and it's got a lot of ups and downs. You can see King's influence all over this thing. Too. Yeah, it is yeah. so well told. I mean, the guy can, he can waste like three pages of describing a door. And when the guy's done, you know exactly what that fucking door looks like. You know what I mean? So good. Yeah. This came out during a time when Stephen King was kind of not in fashion anymore. I mean, now he is because of the, you know, it, the new it, it movies, yeah. but he was dying off. He was not, especially for his horror movies. It, it, it was, it was not in vogue. Well, I think what it was too is because I don't know what it is to get the rights like money wise to tell his story but it's kind of like they wanted these little quick jump scare flicks you know what i mean right right so a really well told like intricate horror like scary suspenseful movie it was like almost like it it wasn't like hip or cool anymore you know it was just Quick hitters. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think studios was willing to fork up the money to really kind of invest in a really good horror movie during this time. Even this movie, The Mist, was uh, was a low budget movie. It wasn't. I think, yeah, you know, and I was looking at it too because when you said that before, I was like, Nah, it's not low budget because of the actors and actresses, and it's got a really good cast. But these guys aren't. I I would venture to say they're not huge payday guys. You know what I mean? So you're right. It it was probably pretty inexpensive. Yeah, there's no one big A-list actor here. It's it's an ensemble piece. In some of the second, third act, it feels like a stage play because they're all stuck in like kind of one location. Yeah. Um, you know, you speak of like what does it take to get you know the rights to a Stephen King film or story. Well, Darabon actually has you know like we were saying before that you know he has this long relationship with Stephen King. He has adapted. Two other thing, two other stories in two movies, and 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 two fucking huge movies. And I think Shawshank is considered like one of the great, almost near perfect films of my lifetime. Uh, something in the, in the, in the same conversation as as Finding Dory. <laughs> yes, exactly. 
No, but God, Godfather. When you yeah. think of, like, oh yeah, you think of near perfect movies. Finding Dory, of course. <laughs> that was, <laughs> but dude, it's, it, I get what you're saying because it's it's like our generation, maybe ten years above, ten years below. Yes, like uh, my cousin, or yeah, my cousin Marco. Mm-hmm. Dude, this is his all time favorite flick. Like number one, the Shawshank. without a doubt. Yeah, without a doubt, the greatest movie to him ever made. Yes, I think I think after I watched that movie, I knew the power of it and i didn't realize that it would grow further and further into the zeitgeist and become a like the classic film drama to it, and there's like nothing not to like in that flick yeah phenomenal and so frank darabont is coming from from this kind of pressure and it's surprising that this is his last movie i mean he has not directed a, a feature length of movie since That's the mist you know he did do the walking dead he did do another TV series, a, a cop series called Mob City for TNT, which was a couple years after The Walking Dead. But that was it. And he has not done anything uh, since then. And I don't know why. Maybe it's just he, you know, he got tired working Wait. with, the, yeah, working with the studio and, and, and maybe they don't want to hear his stories. I don't know. But, you know, I mean, it's a tough business, the show business, but, um, Yes, The Mist is like one of my favorite kind of monster movies. And as soon as I saw the movie, I go, this is a great film. Another great kind of supernatural movie with a disturbing ending. I think it's known for its disturbing ending, but I think it's also a great kicker. You know, it's like, that's it, man. That's a perfect way to end it, even though it bums you out. And, you know, you hit on a good thing, which um, for me, it's it's literally monsters. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's not like a demonic toy or a fucking scary clown. You know what I mean? <laughs> this was true monsters. You know, like things, creatures, and you know what's funny is like I was uh, watching it, uh, watching clips of it, and it felt very um, at the at like the last sequence. It felt very Stranger Things. Yes, like upside you know down. It's like the upside down. Yeah, yeah, but that where they show the thing in the mist, and it's fucking huge. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just walking with like all of its legs, but I mean the size. Uh, it's funny because especially when you do like a, I don't say creature feature, but a movie that has to deal with like you know creatures, um, it's usually like an ego trip with us. Most of the creatures are like comparable in size to people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when you do a creature thing and they're fucking massive, <laughs> I love that shit, dude. Like uh, War of the Worlds, a uh, Cloverfield. Yes. It's kind of like, why would we think that everything that would come here or like a monster or alien or whatever, why do we always think it would be our size? (laughs) Even if they made it real small, that'd be cool too. But it's just, it's like, God, how full of ourselves are we that everything is almost mimicked off of us? Like, you know what I mean? So these giant things, fuck, I love that shit. It's funny because this is adapted by Stephen King. But there is also H.P. Lovecraft uh, in, it. in it. You know, the monsters are very much a yeah. uh, Lovecraftian monsters. The cosmic horror. This is a new subgenre called cosmic horror. And this was okay. kind of one of the first ones to really, or at least the one of the, the first modern ones to to do that. And, you know, you, you mentioned aliens. You know, I think in a lot of ways, this opened the door for something like A Quiet Place. Yeah. Or the oh. classic Starship Trooper, baby. <laughs> Starship Troopers. Big like, bugs. Dude, you think I watch these fucking movies all the time? If you even, like right now when I'm done, I'm going to pop Star Tro- Starship Troopers on. I've watched that thing a million times. I love it, dude. Yeah, it's awesome. 
but yeah, dude, I get, I, I like it, and it's funny because it's not just like I was talking about how I love huge monsters, mm-hmm. but then they had the little fucking mosquito things. They have everything in between. I dig it. I love it. I, I love the creatures in it. I guess the idea is here that the mist is a, a gateway to some other dimension. There's an ecosystem. There's big ass monsters. There's little bugs. There's Volkswagen-sized bugs in this movie. Octopus-looking tentacles. And <laughs> yes. Shit, yeah. It's all fucking great. I love it. I kind of love that type of cosmic horror stuff. But, I mean, the, the movie itself is not necessarily all about monsters. It's really about the the, the reaction to this phenomenon. A very similar to Walking Dead. Yeah, it's the people, the people are reacting the, to each other because yeah. of the fear of the monsters. Yes, yeah. it's, a, it's a decline of society. And where the people become the monsters because of the fear of, of the real monsters. So it's, it's I, I love all of that underlying premise of, of a society in decline. And, and, they, and they had all the factors, too, stuck in that store. Like when it, when it comes down to bare bones, how everybody retreats all the way back to, like, the spiritual belief, like, We've angered God and he's doing this shit to it. You know what I mean? And then you have the people that are like mid-roads, like, no, there's a scientific explanation. But instead of spacing it out over like a city or a country, they stuck them all in one grocery store, man. <laughs> yeah, and becomes this uh, microcosm of, of America. And I think that those characters, those archetypes characters, are what you find in, in something like other Stephen King st- stories. You know, I think uh, when we did... Um, uh, Silver Bullet, you know, the, the the townspeople very much feel like the same townspeople here. Yeah. And, and I it's, think- it's funny because he does, he draws from it, you know what I mean? From where he is and stuff like that movie, The Dome. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or the show, The yeah. Dome. It's always about it's like, like these small so towns and how they are affected by this phenomenon and how they just kind of but, fall into... Uh, paranoia and conspiracy and i think it feels extremely more relevant now than ever and i want to say that he must have spent his first half of his life sitting around watching people uh-huh yeah yeah, yeah. you know what i mean because he's so good at character at character development but dude he was writing shit in sophomore year in high school you know what i mean college like the bachman books dude that's where he wrote what the running man and that i think loosely based the falling down you know what i mean it's like he didn't, he was just, as soon as he could write, dude, he was off and running, man. And he's just so keen at making so many believable traits and characteristics in these people that it's, it's just so believable. And it's just, he, he puts it together great. And he's like shoves you into that room and you're like, fuck, now I'm stuck in here with like Stephen King's nightmares. You know what I mean? It's like, Damn it. And when you think about just his work, like with what, Carrie, Christine, it's just the guy could take a car. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Everybody sees just say hey, it's just a car. It's there's nothing to it. But no, nah, he makes it fucking evil. You know what I mean? This guy, fuck. I hope he just keeps writing until the day he can't write anymore. <laughs> He's just so good at stuff. And you know, what I really love and what I learned while you know doing a little bit of research here, um, you know, Frank Darabont, like we were saying, he has this close relationship with Stephen King. He knows him. And originally, that that twist ending, or that you know, not, I guess not twist ending, but just a dark, disturbing ending, was not in the original novel or short story. Uh, that was something that Frank Darabont came up with, and he Ooh. told uh, 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 Stephen King about this. And King goes, "Oh man, this is much better than my ending." <laughs> and, 
And he goes, you have to do this movie and you have to do that, that ending. And if you can't do that ending, don't do the movie. But talk about the ultimate praise. Yes, I know. When <laughs> someone like him thinks that your ending is better. <laughs> but the, dude, it's just like, uh, but see, sometimes it ad- that's what I, I don't like. Sometimes adaptations from his stories, they can't do it or they're too long or whatever. But like, uh, I, I had a girlfriend and she read Misery. Mm-hmm. And when we, you know, everybody loved the movie, uh, nominated. It was just like well received. Mm-hmm. And she hated the ending. And I'm like, how could you hate that ending? And her thing was, she read the book, and at the when they find uh, the the crazy lady, she's downstairs and she has her hands on an axe or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the book ended with her not dying there, like the guy got away, and then. When they come for the body, she's not there, and she had made it all the way downstairs and grabbed an axe and was basically coming back and died. Mm-hmm. So you know what I mean? It's kind of like those little caveats, those little... You can't always get them in the book. So it's... I, I, I don't know. It's I always hope that they don't ruin the story, you know what I mean, when they do the adaptation. But I guess for this one, they actually, per him, they kind of improved it with that ending. Yeah, I think I think the ending works um, much better. It's a it's a gut punch of an ending, and it's so <laughs> fucked, man. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fucked up ending. Uh, but it's, uh, I find it hard to believe the king didn't write that because it was so good, man. It's like the road, you know what I mean? It's just like a fuck, like. Uh. Well, this this is so interesting about Stephen King. So Stephen King has you know have this long career. He has he has written a bunch of short films or short, short stories. Film. And uh, and he has this policy which I didn't realize that he it's called a dollar baby policy. So he allows students, uh, aspiring filmmakers, amateur filmmakers to to license his stories for a dollar if he agrees to it. Nice. So he has a there's so there's a whole list of short films since the seventies that have been done uh, on a you know low budgets and they're all only been shown on film festivals. But these are uh, movies that that were licensed by king for a dollar because he wants to uh you know help the the young creative mind and one of those films was in a sleepwalkers 19- one well no one of those films that was, was worth a dollar <laughs> so. one, one of those films was was a 1983 so it was a 1983 movie called the woman in the room and that was directed by frank darabon a young frank mm-hmm. darabon and that's his first oh, time. So that's where he got his chops. That's where, he, yes, that's where he uh, first time connected with King, and since then they kind of started uh, this relationship where Darabont did three famous uh, film adaptations from from this this relationship. But you know, if you're a, a, a film student right now, you could actually you know contact Stephen King, and you, if you have an idea for one of his short stories. And if he likes it, he will license to you for a dollar. That's how. That's fucking awesome. Dude. <laughs> that's how great that guy is, and it's and it has now become called Dollar Baby Movies. So that's awesome. I mean, that's why I kind of uh, love about Stephen King and and people who understand that you need to pass it on, you know, pass it forward or whatever. No, uh, that I mean, what's he's got enough money? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know. He's he's got to be filthy, and I I don't think his lifestyle is crazy where he needs tons of money constantly coming in to 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 support it. Uh, that's awesome that he paid it forward. 
yeah, I love that story about him and, and that program. Um, let's talk about the the cast in this movie. I mean, Thomas Jane is the main star, but it's really an a, a, a ensemble. It's like yeah, it's like a bunch of predominantly side characters who are really great at their craft. Like, I mean, you had I don't know if Punisher was before or after, but that's the only real leading role I could think about for for Thomas Jane, yeah. For Thomas Jane, yeah. He was. I think after this, or maybe, before, yeah, I think right after this movie, he did a show, a Showtime show called Hung, which was a big deal. I mean, that kind of lasted for a couple of seasons. But yeah, he's not yeah. really a big name. Uh, he's a great actor, though. And I think the first time I saw him in anything was in Boogie Nights, where he played the Mark Wahlberg's, like, cocaine addict uh, best friend. And they go yeah, try to rob a... <laughs> rob a um, Alfred Molina in that, you know, the great scene. And, you know, he's like, he's coked out and he's like flinging his gun and goes, I want, I want the money in the front of the fucking safe behind the fucking, you know, uh, bedroom door. You know, he's just, it was like a, one of those breakout uh, scenes. And I'm like, who is that guy? I need to know that guy. And I got to watch all his movies. <laughs> I did. I'm a big Deep Blue Sea fan. Deep Blue so Sea. Yeah, I there you go. That. Another great kind yeah. of thing. He, he, it's unfortunate that like, he doesn't have the bigger career because he does have the chops. And, and he, I think in this movie, he proves that he could hold his own with a whole group of great actors. You got Marcy Gay Harden, who is the religious um, zealot, Miss Carmoni. And you got Toby Jones, who's another great actor. He's playing Ollie. He's playing the supermarket assistant manager yeah he you know he, he reminds me of uh clint oh clint howard's <laughs> for a brother or no clint howard yeah yeah clint no clint howard, howard was yeah. a brother yeah i was thinking the same thing but yeah it's kind of the face you know yeah, what i mean yeah. you always pick him out of the crowd yeah he's a character actor he has a character actor yeah. type of face he's yeah he brings a certain level to this part you know it's, and then there's that Lori Holden, who's literally Walking Dead first couple seasons. Yes, so? yes, and she's in, she's playing a teacher here. Uh, Andre Brower has a small part in this movie, and I, I, I and you, you know, it's funny when when you look him up, it says what he's known for, and I swear to like, you know how it's got like the four top or whatever right under him. <laughs> yeah, I swear to God, it doesn't have glory. I know he's so great I, in glory, man. He's so fucking that blows awesome. my mind, and that's like for me, that's his biggest thing. Yeah. It's an awesome movie. Yeah, it is. And it blew up a lot. Well, I think it blew up a lot of people like Denzel and stuff. Yeah, yeah. That was the first time I saw him. Andre Brower is it's so great in that. And I, I, I know him from uh, Homicide Life on the Streets, which is the, the crime series, the detective series. He's great in that. He plays Detective Pemilton. He's fucking awesome in that movie or that you show. You probably haven't seen uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, right? I'm not a fan of Brooklyn. I haven't. Well, I'm not. No, but, I haven't seen okay. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. No. So watch it just for him. Okay. He is that good. Okay. He's fucking hilarious because he plays a straight guy. Not a, Technically, he's a gay guy in the show, uh -huh. but he plays the straight comedic guy. Yeah. Like, so, like, he'll say something and it'll be like, that was a joke. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, but he, it's just that, that, that real cold, like, damp humor. It's freaking, he's so good at it, dude. Um, yeah. So, like 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 we're saying, a big cast, strong cast. Thomas Jane is probably the main guy. He's the one who we focus our attention on. He has a he he plays a guy named uh, David, who is a movie poster painter. He does the illustrations for for movies. And did it, you notice the first one was a gunslinger? 
Yeah, that's uh, bro, Dark he, Towers, right? That was the uh, yeah, Dark Towers. Yeah, he was Stephen doing. Yeah, I didn't. I don't know if that was on purpose or if that was what the book actually said. You know what I mean? The short story said. That was cool. I, I like the way he almost, uh, what is that called? The fourth wall breaks for him? <laughs> yeah. Would that be considered that? Yeah. Because he'll do that shit where, like, you'll watch a Stephen King-based movie, and in the movie, the TV's on, and it's a Stephen King movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> I dig that shit. Or on their nightstand is a Stephen King book. Dude, I dig that. Well, all those poster art is from a, uh, from the illustrator Drew Struzan, who's, like, very famous uh, movie poster illustrator. Who is known for uh, Goonies poster, Back to the Future poster? He is known for Star Wars, uh, uh, Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom. He's he, he's just one of the famous ones, and so that I guess that whole scene when you know because it starts off uh, with David in his uh, studio, and I guess that studio is there to uh, replicate uh, Drew Struzan's studio, and so all the artwork there is it's all what Drew has drawn and. It, and you can see it in the background. There's the Thing poster, the famous Thing poster for John Carpenter's, and that was part of his uh, the, the, the part of his artwork that he did for for the movie poster. So he's basically playing a, a, a Drew Struzan in the movie, and that's a great introduction to a character. He's not like a typical. I mean, a lot of the a lot of times in these movies, he's either a writer or he's a you know maybe a uh, graphic designer or architect. You know. I like the, the fact that, you know, let's just make him a movie uh, poster illustrator, and, you know, because it really yeah, doesn't make any difference. We're just, he's supposed to represent the normal guy anyway. I always think, I, I just, I, like I said, though, I, I dig the, 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 the callback, yeah, <laughs> the, 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 yeah, the references <laughs> to himself. Yeah, it's so good, dude. I dig it. Just like, remember how in his earlier movies, he was in every movie? Anytime it was yeah, like a Stephen King, he would do his cameos. He was always in it. Yeah, it's funny because you know the mist also reminds me of of uh, Maximum Overdrive. Oh, oh, dude! Oh, fuck! That's <laughs> such a good flick. And dude, a lot of people don't even know about that movie. I think it's one of those ones that was really popular and then fell off fast. And yeah, it was a people was were a, keeping it going. It was a bomb. And Stephen King, this is this is the first time he ever directed a movie. He directed something that he wrote. Dude, well, it's so good. It, it, it's very similar. Like a small group of people, they're stuck in a ga- in, in, in maximum overdrive. They're stuck in a gas station, and the phenomenon is that that the machines have come alive. You know, all the uh, yeah, cars. the Earth is <laughs> stuck in a comet's yes, it's weak, all... and it's fucking up all the electrical stuff. And it's I, it's almost like you know, you could have like a good uh, double feature. You know, watching the mist in, in the maximum overdrive. I think the maximum overdrive is extremely more campy. Because it's I I was laughing to a lot of that stuff that happened in the movie. Dude, I'll tell you how many how much I've watched Maximum Overdrive. Stephen King's cameo is he's the guy at the ATM. <laughs> right, he goes, and when he puts his card in, it's it, when he presses his pin, it says "fuck you, fuck you," and then he turns and he's a honey. I think it's for you or whatever, dude. That was so stupid. And oh, because he's the worst actor. What's What's also great about Maximum Overdrive? The whole movie is scored by ACDC songs. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And it, it, it works perfectly. It works awesomely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fucking soda, soda machine <laughs> yeah, attacking kill, people by kills, shooting sodas. Killing the, like, yeah, attacking the baseball the, kids. The, yeah. the baseball team, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it killed the coach. Yeah, at first, yeah, it, it hits the coach in the balls and then the stomach and then the head. But then the kid, like, basically fights his way towards it by using the, the catcher's mask <laughs> over his head. <laughs> oh, right, right. And crawling at it. And dude, it's oh, and the the hero of the movie, Emilio, <laughs> Emilio Estevez. 
That's a good flick. Now I want to watch that one. Emilio Estevez is just playing like a uh, cook, right? A cook at the... Uh, yeah, like a con. Yeah. Ex-con. Yeah, ex-con. Yeah. And again, here's another guy who's just playing a... You know, he's nothing. there's nothing special about him other than he's able to survive these extreme conditions. Same thing with, with the main character in The Mist, with the Thomas Jane. And... Um, but I guess there's a little bit more weight with Thomas Jane's character, uh, David, because he is also a family man. He's also a father, and then he's stuck in this supermarket with his son Billy. And but the best part is, is, is I'm sorry, no, the storm, the storm, and the Andre Brower's character, mm-hmm. their neighbors. Yeah. So the storm hits. It's all like his. What his boathouse gets wrecked by a tree or some shit. Yeah, yeah. So it starts off with them at odds. Yes. Like fighting. And then he basically needs a ride to the grocery store. <laughs> so then it's like, it, even if everybody in there is a stranger or, you know what I mean, at the grocery store, he's already almost got like a, what would you call it? Um, an enemy at the store. You know what I mean? Yeah, like there's somebody that he's already in conflict with. That's what I really loved about it. Because right away they start with the mist coming over the lake. The tree hit, falls into the window, destroys the boathouse. And, you know, it's not really that much in the dialogue. You just could tell there's ten- tension between the Thomas Jane character and the Andre Brower's character. And that they, they, they have this history. And it's Yeah, like, there is a history for sure. And, and, and that kind of continues while they're in the grocery store. And, you know, this movie is, you know, here, here's me going a little bit deeper. I think it's a lot, you know, it's saying a lot about post 9-11 America. I think it, because it takes a place a couple of years after Hurricane Katrina, I think it says a lot about Hurricane Katrina and how people re- reacted in the aftermath of that. And like I think tragedies, natural all, disasters. Yeah, all that yeah. and how people were just kind of stuck. And I'll, it's funny because like the grocery store in during Hurricane Katrina was a symbol of like looting and chaos. And now watching it again... In post-pandemic America, the grocery store becomes, to me at least, a symbol of hoarding. <laughs> you know how a lot of people were hoarding the the toilet paper, and it becomes yeah. more. It, it becomes more like a everyone's there on selfish reasons. I mean, that's me kind of you know think overthinking it. But it's funny because we we had this uh, a month ago. We had this hurricane scare in Southern California. I remember. First hearing that hurricane scare blowing up in social media first, and then then it went to the news. And then by the time the weekend hit where the, the hurricane happened, people it was were a like- breeze. People, <laughs> yeah, it was a breeze. It was like, a, yeah, like a like a nice uh, shower. Yeah, like a, like, yeah. <laughs> I think- I think, Sprinkle. I think Las Vegas got hit hard, but us in Southern California was, it was okay. Nothing. It was, it was yeah. fine. But, but what do you think? That's like a, it's a ploy by <laughs> consumerism, like to get no. like prices to go up. And no, I just I just noticed that everyone started to uh, you know ramsack uh, Sam's Club and 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 yeah. outlet stores like that. And I just watching the mist. It seems like that plays. I mean, it just to me it feels a little more relevant or it feels as relevant as it did when it came out twenty years ago. But I don't know what was your I, thoughts. I, well, no, I, I get what you're saying about that whole, because I remember back um, when COVID first started, the whole fear of, like, you know, everybody went out and they got all their stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you were one of the people that got on the bandwagon late, you know, and were at the store and there was nothing there, okay. then this really kicked in, like, fuck, last time. 
You know what I mean? We ended up screwed. We had nothing. So I think those are the people that when they when they uh, were forecasting that whole tropical oh, disaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to be the first you ones you, out there. Yeah, you don't want to be left in the dust like you know, like last time. Not right? like last time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they went out and, but it's it's ridiculous. But I I think my favorite. Well, my thing with the whole they could have put them anywhere at the grocery store mm-hmm. was that that's like the source for survival. But they're in there. And all they want to do is leave. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's like, hey, how about this? Instead of going home where you have nothing, stay here. You have food. They even had, for the most part, for a while, they had power, the backup generator. Like, you, it's sustainable to last there for a while. Right, right. You know? Yeah. But everybody's trying to leave. But then I get it because sometimes they were compromised. Like, the things came through the window. But it's kind of like, everybody's getting here to be safe or to to get what they need and go and then they get stuck there they're totally overthinking the fact that they could still like if they would have fortified that place they probably could have all lasted there but they all had family and stuff to go to but i just think it's funny how the it's like the bait that lured them you know what i mean <laughs> and it's just it's it's a it's a cla- it's like total stephen king screw over like <laughs> it would be just like us if we had no gas and went to the gas station and then everything happened at the gas station it's, yeah, I mean, it's just to get them there, it, it, and that was part of the argument. You know, like people were saying, "Why should we leave when we have everything here?" And yeah. and and that that was part of the the debate of should we stay or should we go. But it it ends up becoming they have to leave because people are now turning on each other because of yeah. you know you got the religious zealot, you got people, but who and, are, and he plays to the basic of instincts that mm-hmm. this is a shitty situation, bad things are happening. It's somebody's fault. Yes. You know what I mean? It's always there has fault. to be somebody to blame. <laughs> yeah. There's somebody I mean, to blame. And well, let's blame the people in here. Well, let's talk about... Hey, wait. Let's go back to the actors. Okay. Okay. Yeah. My favorite fucking actor, or my favorite show, like, all time, like, probably top three, Being Human. This <laughs> movie has my... Like, there's three main characters. It has Sam Witwer, mm-hmm. who played Aiden... In that, like he was the vampire and being human, but he was the soldier that they ended up at the end, kind of blaming everything on toward you know the religious faction. Yes, yes. Dude, I love this guy. There was like three of them, right? Yeah. Yeah, he plays a military soldier. He's uh, a private Jessup, I think his name, and yeah, yeah, he's stationed at the nearby military base. I think they called it Arrowhead. And supposedly there maybe they maybe was in the know. Who knows? You know if they were maybe they knew what was going on. They knew a little yeah, bit because in the flick there's three of them and two of them kind of <laughs> make themselves seem guilty by what they do. So he's the third one. So he'd be guilty by association, I guess. Yes, right. Because the other two, yeah, they do something. I don't want to <laughs> totally give it away, but something happens to them, and since he's the last one left, they're like, oh, he's in on it too. And like I mean that the whole mob mentality is freaking yes the mob that's horrible. that's the that was the great thing about the movie it's like it, it really shows you how society devolves into mobs and it does a much better job than say uh, Halloween Kills which was all about um, mob justice but I get what you're saying because these people they were normal fucking people yeah it wasn't like they were an excitable mob to start with that was looking for something to get crazy about. They're just scared, and that's that's what he does so good. Is he he brings these outside influences and turns normal people into 
fucking lunatics. <laughs> you know what I mean? They lose. They, they... And the more of them that there are, the more normal it seems to them. Right. Like I'm not the only crazy one because there's like 14 more people that think we should kill this guy to like <laughs> so God doesn't hate us. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I, let's talk a little bit about the Marcy Gay Harden character because she was she's the one who kind of represents this kind of religious uh, fracture of the of the of the group, and she is she's considered a cuckoo at first she's considered like the cuckoo. yeah she was a, she was actually a little weird <laughs> and, to start you know, with yeah her character yeah and, and like everyone kind of agreed that she is you know uh, uh not all there but then at the end they start believing her and like and in, and like you were saying about you know how this feels like uh, stranger things we're now living in an upside world where the the, the the insane person looks like the sane person you know if there's no other reason why they're doing it, then they must have pissed off God, I guess. Well, that's the whole kind of premise. And I think that's, you know, you know, Stephen King has, does have a, I'm not sure if he's a religious man, but I mean, he certainly has his criticisms on religion. Uh, not, I he don't might think he, be anti-religion, you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know if he's like, he's against religion, religion as a concept, but he is definitely uh, against People using religion, weaponizing religion as a way to uh, uh, obtain power. Or showing the dangers of it, kind of do. I think a lot of ways, Stephen King understands the power of, of sto- story. And, you know, religious, religion is basically a collection of stories and fables and, you know, things to learn from. But they're not necessarily supposed to be taken at face value as like yeah like, verbatim <laughs> and literally right and that's what what happens to these religious leaders and and fanatics that they 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 then they they throw in this kind of a uh, morality concept to it and it becomes someone to blame it becomes in this film it's about the out uh uh the outside influence it's about the whore who she she calls uh the teacher the the Lori Lori Holden's character a whore it's about you know, this guy and that guy, it's not us, it's them. And she's able to uh, obtain power and and then become this leader of this group who now thinks that you have to sacrifice people to uh, to appease this beast that lives outside. It's, you know, look, I think initially when I first watched the movie, I thought maybe all that stuff was over, was, was um, heavy handed. Now, after seeing what happened in a, <laughs> you know, pandemic america uh, no that's kind of real that's that's what's going on people are doing yeah it might not be too ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's kind of like idiocracy you know that had that that comedy was uh, totally ridiculous when it came out now it feels like a documentary and i think i think this this ha- this also happens in in the mist where it becomes more uh relevant and, and feels more more true yeah i didn't think about that but it's, it's yeah and it's it's always funny how the people that don't believe in God are the reason why God's mad. <laughs> it's not the people misinterpreting him. Or, you know what I mean? That's just, I don't know, cracks me well, it's, I'm not, and I'm not even saying that it's, it necessarily has to do about religion. It just has to do about, I guess, just... Like part of the mass, I guess, or just to be, me. Just as determined to your convictions, you know, because Marsha Gay Harden's character is just like, she believes what she's saying, Although maybe back in her mind she knows she's lying, but if as, as long as she just says it in a way that feels true, it becomes true in a sense because people are in in the store just wants answers, and because she is p- providing answers, uh, they don't second guess it. Yeah, it's kind of like if people don't have their own beliefs and they need something, they 
start to like absorb the other person's belief. It's like I I, I want to be sure, but I'm not. So that person sure so i'm gonna be like them you know what i mean yeah it's it's like when you say you know the sky is green and if you keep on saying it people were going well maybe the sky is green <laughs> you, know, like, you, you know you know what i did notice though there was a point where it seemed like she almost was terrified as to how far it had gone oh yeah 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 and but and if you know the same i'm talking about but then it kind of it's like in her mind there's a quick little fuck it you know what i mean i i gotta keep going now right, like right I, i'm committed and it's <laughs> and if i back down they're gonna turn on me yeah yeah i remember that yeah that was a great scene where she's yeah. she's almost afraid of what what the mob has done what she's fucking done she started you know <laughs> yeah. what i mean but it, it's like it's like what it's like too big to fail you know she can't go <laughs> yeah it's a real brief little they shoot a shot to her and it's almost like a horror, like she's in horror yeah, yeah. of what's going on. But then she looks at the crowd and they're like all into it. And it's like, fuck it. You know what I mean? This <laughs> it's is- like, yeah, it's, it's, it might be a, a bullet to hell, but I'm, I'm on it. So I might as well ride this fucker all the way. Let's look at the cast of the characters. Who do you feel more related to? I mean, do you feel like you're David? The, the Thomas- checkout girl. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're both better looking than we we know. You're a good, ba- you're a good babysitter, of, too. <laughs> she reminds me of the Nagzima girl, right? Like a little, like, <laughs> the curly like a hair. later generation yeah. Nagzima girl. She's been in a couple things. I can't, I can't, um, she was in that Pitch Black sequel. Dude, I'm so stupid. Uh, if you ask me if Vin Diesel's a great actor, my answer is no. But she's in the Chronicles of Riddick. Yes, that's what it was. And so. I, I love those Riddick movies, dude. Well, I don't know why, because you could, you could turn your brain off. You know, just what? totally be entertained. I'm stoked. There's a new one coming out. I gotta be honest. I failed to mention this, but you know, in they and the, um, I love the you know the creatures in they the the creature designs, but the same oh, yeah. the same person who did the creature designs on they also did the the creatures designs on the on Pitch Black. And, Ooh, nice. And, and so there's that connection too. But yeah, uh, what's her name? Um, Alexa. Alexa Davalos. Davalos. Yeah, she's yeah, she's been in a few things for sure. Who, who? But no, no. But seriously, who do you relate to in this? In this oh, show? you don't believe <laughs> uh, the boathouse? Because I just feel crushed. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, I don't know. Because you, you a little bit of, okay. uh, a Tom, Are you a bit of Thomas Jane? Are you a little bit of? But uh... that's what everybody wants to be Thomas Jane, <laughs> dude. I'm the I'm the uh, William Sadler guy, man. I'm just confused and scared. I don't know what to do. <laughs> At first, I'm thinking with the normal guys, you know what I mean? <laughs> but then it's like, eh, the normal guys don't really look like they're going to win. So let's go with the crazy people. <laughs> let's go with the religious I need somebody nights. to blame. Yeah. yeah, let's do that too. And you know what's so funny? I just, like, I'm looking at the cast right now because I'm trying to think. And I pick, I didn't even pick up on uh, that Jeffrey DeMunn, the, yes. the old guy. The, yes. Dude, he's also from The Walking Dead. Because yes. I was just thinking it was the two the two women, but no, dude, it's it's way freaking more, man. This and, is and, almost scary. And Jeffrey Denun is a kind of a frequent actor for Frank Darabont. I think he does a lot of his movies, and he's great. Yeah, he's, he, dude, he's also in the Green Mile. He's in the Green Mile, right? And and yeah. and he, <laughs> he's currently in Billions, the series, which I love. Uh, I, I watched that. He's, I don't think I've seen it. He's Paul Giamatti's dad, and he's fucking awesome in that show because he's playing like a real dirt dirt bag guy. But he's like, a good a, actor. He's a great actor, and and here and here he's he has like the most memorable line i think he's the one who screams 
there's something in the mist. <laughs> you know, yeah. and then the way he says it, and I don't know how he does it, I go, fuck, there's something in that mist that I, we should there be running really right is. now. <laughs> we should be running right now. Run for your lives. Because the way he said it, uh, and it's just like a couple, uh, you know, a couple words, but the way he uh, he's uh, he has the ability to act act that out, I go fuck. There's something there, man. <laughs> yeah, and you know what too? Because w- when you said that, I'm thinking about his chops, right? Yeah. So I'm thinking in the Green Mile. Remember when um, uh, I think it's a Wild Bill guy goes crazy and they have to do him, mm-hmm. and then he looks at the other guard and he goes, "We thought he was drugged, right?" You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's very convincing with his face. When, <laughs> like, you know, we, we thought he was doped up, I think, is what he says. He was supposed to be doped up or something. It's just like, he's really good. Like, it's great. Uh, it's great. It's great. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know if he could carry a whole movie, but the for, basically, for his roles, he kills them. He's you one. Of, I mean? Yeah, he's, he's, one, so he's one of those actors that you put him in the cast and he will make your movie better because he's in the cast. I mean, he's that type of actor. I think I'm a... I'm a crossbreed now between the Thomas Jane character and okay. Andre. I'd yeah. have to be. I mean, t- t- well, t- Thomas Jane's character, David, he is someone who works with reason. He is someone who wants to, you know, he's not, he's not rocking the boat. He's just going along. He, he's very rational uh, with his decisions and, and, you know, he's maybe a natural leader. Andre Andre Bauer is almost the same way, but he has this kind of uh, paranoia because he's in, they call him an outer towner, and he thinks people are laughing at him, and so that his, that's his vice that he's not willing to accept what is true and and or what they they say is true, and you know we don't know what happens to the character. He he leads a whole group out of the, the market and. He goes off and on his own, and who knows? Maybe he 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 survives. But um, well, what I like too mm-hmm. is I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Is um the dynamics of them? They're there together, but what we haven't said so far, and it doesn't really ruin the story. And if you haven't seen it, is that Thomas Jane has his son with him? Oh, right, right, right. So he's not just looking out for himself. He's got his child to worry about, and. His wife's at home, so he's got something physically that he needs to go get. You know what I mean? Like, there's still someone out there. But I think Andre doesn't... He's single, right? He doesn't even have a wife? I, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Because I, think... I want to say in the beginning, yeah, it's like a divorce thing where he's there. Like, it's like he's there on his own and the car breaks. And he's in the grocery store by himself. Mm-hmm. So their dynamic is kind of like Andre's just... He literally just has to worry about himself. Where yeah. Thomas has... At the beginning, he has the weight of his son, and then he's got to get back to his wife, and then slowly that group looks looks up towards him, like for guidance. Uh-huh. So he's got a lot of fucking pressure, you know what I mean? Well, he I can't th- just run out and hope that he's okay. I, I, I he's got to worry about all that extra. I think Thomas Jane and and Andre Brower's character, those those two characters, are almost in the same boat because they are both out of towners. They are both look as you know, they are both both called. Uh, Big shots uh, from New York, you know. They and you know the uh, Thomas Jane's character is a artist. He works, you know, he has connections to Hollywood. Where Andre Bauer, Bauer is a lawyer, a, New, a hot shot lawyer, in New York, and so both of them are not liked in this small town. Yeah, so they're they're like the mist. They're unknown. Yeah, they don't belong there. <laughs> but you, it's think, easy to turn on them. It's funny because you would think that they would get along because they're kind of similar, but they don't. 
maybe that's why he started out with the whole you know what i mean the, the putting them at odds because of what happened with their properties yes yes i think i think i think the movie does deal with like who who could you trust and who, who you shouldn't trust and who could you work with and and i think it it captures the movie captures that kind of uh unbalanced connection that we have with others and and because of the this unknown mist selfishness comes in and takes place and paranoia and 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 you know self-preservation you know i mean it's all wrapped up in this kind of really terrific monster movie story i mean i think i think the the some of the great monster movies or horror movies are you know metaphors for for real real life stories or real life uh, dynamics between people you know yeah it's so it's it's so funny because it it a lot of these newer even though this is not that new um like underlying themes for these movies even though they're horror movies it's they they show a character like a monster or something to be afraid of but the true terror comes between the interaction of the people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The actual characters, they do more damage than the actual horror part of the the movie. The actual creatures, the actual monsters. Yeah, um, I think uh, if, if I had to pick somebody that I could relate to on the cast uh, or the characters, the, the kid, the kid, the bag boy, <laughs> Norm. <laughs> I'm I'm the one who's gonna say, yeah, I'll take care of the generator. And then when when David comes in, hey, I don't think you should do that. I go, what, what, what you, you got a problem, pal? And I'll just say under my breath, pussy, <laughs> pussy, <laughs> and I die. <laughs> and you do have that beautiful uh, head of red hair. <laughs> now that's and nobody picked up that they got rid of the ginger first. Now that's great because that that's played by Chris Owen. He he is better known as the Sperminator in uh, the American Pie movies. <laughs> There's an, yeah. and it's funny because he actually looks normal. Compared to the way he looked when he was little, I know. Yeah, I yeah, thought yeah. the kid was just going to turn into a monster, <laughs> but he didn't look that like like I'm looking at his picture right now, like his like you know eight by ten headshot. Uh-huh. He looks normal because he was also a major pain. You know, most of the stuff I remember seeing him from, he was like really young. All right, major. I don't pain, mean he was young in this, right, but like yeah, he had a really cute like, yeah, face. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. The huge ears, right? Right, right. Fly, Dumbo, fly. <laughs> <laughs> that was him, man. Uh, we gotta talk about Melissa McBride. Wait, no, no. Who are you gonna be? Oh, I, I keep cutting you off. Who would you relate most to? Oh, uh, you know, I don't know. I guess, I guess I'm like, I guess I am a little bit like uh, the Laurie Holden character. You know, uh, I'll take care of the kid if you need to, and then you know, secretly I have a a, a Colt revolver in my bag. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, that was weird that she <laughs> waited a little while to unleash that bad boy. Well, I do. I do feel like, in a way, I do feel like Toby Jones. Like, like you know, um, uh, you know, this. Everyone wants to uh, not give him that much credit. You know, he's a guy who, um, you know, he's a miniature and statured, but you know, he comes out and says, "I, I have a lot of experience with guns. I'm a gun shooter, and I could." <laughs> could shoot and, and think about it. He works there. Yeah. So he knows the ins and outs, and it's like you're like you're right. They write him off instantly. Yeah, they it's write like, him off instantly. Fucked. They don't think they don't think he's capable of anything. It's really it's it's a it's and it's part of the casting. You need to cast someone like Toby Jones who looks like a, a, a just a normal normal middle aged dude. But and and I think he's uh, he's probably the most he was probably the biggest hero. He's he, he you know I would say he's like a normal looking dude. He looks like he comes <laughs> from the Shire. 
I was I was I was being kind. I was being kind. But but yeah, uh, he's just like you know what it is? He's very unnoticeable. Yes. Like, you know, he's the guy in the store that's stocking the shelves. You don't pay fucking attention. Yeah, you don't pay no attention to this guy. But this guy, uh, give him a gun and, yeah, he can shoot some people. (laughs) He's the janitor on the breakfast club. Everybody walks around, but he's (laughs) He's he's on the the eyes and ears of this institution. (laughs) By the way, that clock is 10 minutes back. You know what I mean? It's like, it's those are the people they take for granted. You know what I mean? But, uh, dude, pay attention. He's been there for a while for a reason, you know what I mean? He knows uh, that place. We got to talk about Melissa McBride. Uh, this is probably her first big part, and she's only there for a uh, half a second. And then here we're talking about another actress who eventually will be a big fan favorite in the Walking Dead series. But this is, was the one part that she was able to get and the first time she worked with Frank Darabont, and she was just a fine. She was a, a local actress, and she went to a uh, the casting call, and, and she got the job. And she did a ter- – I think this is probably my favorite scene in the movie, uh, or at least when I was rewatching it. I go, I, I love this scene because she is the woman who asked for help because she has – she has a couple kids at home, and she needs to get back. And she was one. She's one of the first, uh, you know, customers to to leave the the grocery store, and she's asking, "Can someone take her home with her? You know, take her take. Can someone yeah, help hate, me get help help yeah. help her get there?" And she has a great line uh, where she says, "Will somebody here see a lady home?" <laughs> Which is yeah. great. It's a great line. But you know what? Too, I was thinking about that. If you watch older movies and stuff, it's it wasn't even it wasn't even a thought for a man to be like, no, I can't. You know what I mean? Or like, fuck, I I really shouldn't because I have this. Right. It was like, it was your job. Right. Right. It was your duty it was as fa- a man. A very old fashioned way of thinking it. And I think this this was so great about uh, the movie. It's like it dispels all that kind of. Hollywood notions of of uh, sh- uh, chivalry, chivalry, yeah, and and really, I, dude, I was watching, <laughs> I was watching old school, um, Wolfman, and I remember it was like the girl screamed, and dudes would like a dude just ran out of his house and like went after the creature. <laughs> I was like, he just like they just were just stepping in, you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> really, bro. It's like you don't see that shit. Not you don't know, once in a blue moon you will, but it's like. It was, I just, uh, sorry, but I was just thinking about, it's it's 100% right. It's like that line is perfect mm-hmm. because she shouldn't even have had to say it. You know what I mean? Back in the day? Yes. It was just done. Like when, like back in the day when guys would get all dressed up to go to dinner. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just in not even like a fancy place. And you, or the woman would get dressed up to do housework. And you, you know what I mean? It's you like take out your jacket and put it uh, uh, on top of a puddle. <laughs> <The> puddle. <laughs> yeah. And then, then that's what I really kind of uh, enjoyed about the movie. It's like everyone, they, they have a nice close-up of everyone's face and they feel ashamed and they, they know that, no, we're out for ourselves. That line was cool. And the way she looked at the end. Mm-hmm. Dude, this, this, oh, fuck. It was, it was cool. It was, she didn't have to say nothing, but it was like, fuck, man. Everybody just stay put, okay? Just stay inside the store. I can't, I can't stay here. I got to get home to my kids. No, no, don't go out there. It's death out there. It's the end of days. Stop it. Okay? Stop it. Please, everybody. Everybody just relax. Okay? He's right. Let's just stay cool. Let's just try to figure out what happened. I'm sorry. 
I, I can't just stay here. I have to get home to my kids. Ma'am, no, you can't go out there. Could be a poisonous gas cloud. Can you hear that man screaming? I agree. Let, let's stay here until we figure it out. You're not listening. I can't stay here. Wanda's looking after little Victor. She's only eight. Sometimes she forgets she's supposed to be watching him, you know? I told them I'd only be gone a few minutes. She's only eight. For their sakes, don't. Oh, is anybody gonna help me? Won't somebody here see a lady home? You? Anybody? You? Ma'am, please. I got my own boy to worry about. Thank you all. Ma'am, please. Wait until. So, according to Frank Darabont, I was listening to an, inter an interview of his, and he said that uh, she, he was very impressed by Melissa McBride and her performance in, in casting her. And so, when it came time to do this this part, the scene, which is the, really the only scene she really has in the in the movie, and you know, you're, we're talking about like the cast is filled with you know expert actors who are renowned stage actor and all that stuff, right? There's a bunch of great actors in that in that scene. And she, Frank was saying that everybody was impressed by her performance. Like it it just, she took the, the air out of the, the room by her uh -huh. performance in that. And you could tell in that scene, you could tell by the people's reaction. And then once she was done, they all applauded and said, you know, thank you. And thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and this sounds horrible and I don't mean it in a negative way, but you just don't expect it from looking at her. Is that wrong? Is that weird to say or wrong to say? Well, she, I mean, you're she, right. She killed it. That she was it. fucking awesome. I, I and it's not that she did. I, I didn't believe it was her, but it was just like, wow. You know, you get like a wow from it when you see him. I guess that's what the cast got to. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. That was good. Well, that's what I love about the casting in, in this movie because there, there, there are people who are kind of look normal or look, you know, they're not. No one's in this cast is like Hollywood, you know, beauty, you know, or what Elite, we, yeah. you know, overly kind of. They look like glamorous. normal fucking people. Yeah, they're just yeah. normal. This is this is what I love about the cast. It's like these are normal looking people, and Melissa Mc, uh, McBride. It's just a, the the right representation of that normal type of woman that would look like that. In that town, you know, at that you know at that age, and uh, it's a great piece of casting that I really, really love. I'm I'm gonna make a uh, last action hero reference. <laughs> okay, remember? Okay, whatever, dude. The movie's entertaining. When they're in the video store, and the kid's trying to convince Schwarzenegger that it's a movie, and he's like, "Look around. Do you see all these beautiful people? Where are the regular people?" <laughs> I have that problem with a lot of movies, dude. Yeah. I'm looking around. I'm like, dude, these people are all like seven and a halfs and up. Yeah. They're two, where are the fours? They're too fucking yeah. beautiful. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Where's the old guy? Where's the fat guy? Where's the guy in the wheelchair? You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, dude, this isn't, this isn't real. You know, it's like all the ears is hot chicks. You know what I mean? And good looking dudes. What are we in Australia? <laughs> That's why I have a problem with like a Michael Bay movie. It's like Michael Bay just like. Yeah, just cast models for his his movies. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't get this. The 
The Transformers yeah. are looking more real than the, 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 <laughs> the human cast. And, and I'll do that in a movie where I'll look at a chick and I'll be like, okay, I get it. Like, you know, it, opposite. And I'm like, I like this girl because her acting's great, but she's not super hot. Mm-hmm. But she's very cute. Mm-hmm. And that is more attractive than the model. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And it's not, even if they're acting the same, it's like, this is realistic. Yeah. And that's what I fucking love, dude. I love it when it's like, dude, that could be, that is so believable. Yeah. And the other shit's just not sometimes. Yeah. But don't get me wrong. I, I think <laughs> a movie with hot chicks. <laughs> Let's talk about the ending now. Let's go into the ending. And if anyone like, ha- haven't seen give it, it away. Yeah, we'll yeah, give, I was gonna say we're gonna give it away. Yeah, we'll give it away. If anyone haven't seen the ending, uh, go watch the movie. Go watch it and come back to this part. So let's dive into the ending because I think this is one of the best disturbing endings, and really gives the movie what it needs—a gut punch, a, a memorable uh, twist ending. I don't know if it's a twist ending, but like a memorable kind of. It was. I would could only describe it as fucked. Uh, yeah, like, like a, that is so. <laughs> It, it, you're, you're right. It's like they punch you in the gut, they slap you, they <laughs> shove a stick up your ass, and then push you out of a moving car. So, All that's better than the ending. So <laughs> the what feeling happens, you get at the ending. So what happens in the, in the grocery store? We got the the religious rise of of the you know people are sacrificing people to the to to the the the, the creatures outside. So David Thomas Jane's character David he decides to. Take his little crew of, of of people, and it's really just him, Billy, uh, uh, his son Billy, uh, Amanda, who's the Laurie, Laurie Holden character, uh, Dan, which is the the, the Jeffrey Denun's character, and Denun. was there someone else? Irene? Is that what it no. was? No, did she not make it? Wait, Irene's the the elderly school teacher with the glasses. Yeah, I always thought they were married, but yeah. It, it, I thought there were a couple of her and the old dude, but no. Yeah, it's the two old guy, the two older people in the back, the chick with him, and then the son in the middle. Right. So they take off in his car. They finally got there in the parking lot. They take off, and they decide to just to gun it and run out the gas. And once the gas is gone, they still find themselves stuck in the mist. That's how in the mist they yeah. find, and that's how big the mist has got in there. They're the misses have taken over the whole town, really, and probably even more so, maybe even parts of of that part of America. Uh, so you know, he has a gun. He has uh, uh, Amanda's gun, the uh, the the Colt revolver, and he, there's five of them. Wait, one, two, three. Yeah, there's five of them, but she, he only has four bullets. So, and the the inevitability of getting killed by those creatures wasn't a quick, painless death, like. <laughs> It looked gruesome whenever they showed anybody getting killed by those things. And the kid, the kid, the uh, Billy, he has said, you know, please, Dad, protect me. And I think he's he believes that protecting him from this evil would be, uh, uh, uh what's it called when you kill somebody for like a mercy kill? Um, yeah, a mercy kill, a mercy kill. So <laughs> it's like the end of a uh, Dust Till Dawn when Julia Lewis and uh, what's his face are. Um... They're they're shooting at all the vampires coming in, and then Juliet Lewis says, "Should I save the last two bullets for us?" <laughs> and he's like, "No, you shoot the next two sons of bitches who come at you, or whatever." But yeah, that's the concept. That's the concept of you know, yeah, and, when and, it's unwinnable. Yeah, don't and, let them kill you. Kill yourself. 
What I love about Frank Darabont, he, what he does here, he kind of goes to a wide shot and we just see the flashes of the gun. We don't see, you know, a close up or anything. It's not it's graphic. It's not gruesome. Yeah, yeah, it's not graphic. It's not uh, that violent other, you know, other than we know what's going on. Who does David shoot first? Because we don't know. But what's your what's your thoughts? Does he kill his son first? No. Wait, his, his son was just about it, to wake up. Remember, he was he was almost he was passed out. Yeah. Son was about and to you wake. wouldn't want your son to watch you kill everyone else. Everybody else. I don't know, man. It's, and at that point, is it really killing? You know what I mean? Well, yeah. I to mean, him, it would be sacrifice, saving or saving. Yeah, yeah, sacrificing, saving. Probably the old man. Oh, interesting. He goes, and then, he goes through the back. He kills the two in the back first. Yeah. I'm thinking the old man, then the woman, and the woman probably gives him, like, it's okay face. <laughs> so he does her. And then the, the woman up front was kind of, like, giving him the strength to keep going by yeah. assuring him that he's doing the right thing. Probably, yeah, yeah. Then he probably mm-hmm. blasts her. And then, so now all four are done. It's just him left. And then it cuts, it cuts, at this point, Frank Darabont cuts it back to, to, David, uh, Thomas Jane's character, and he is wrecked. He is crying. Doesn't he, he put the gun to himself and pull, but there's nothing? Yeah, yeah. He does that. He he does yeah. it. Uh, he does it. He, he, yeah. is, he is in pain. Uh, and again, it's just a great you know performance by Thomas Jane and the way he's able. He comes out of the car, and then he starts screaming at the mist, saying, come and get me. I'm, I'm ready. And, and he, that's when he does the look up for that full... Right, where you see that huge creature you're walking over. No, the first no, time you see that th- there's that was before. That was when they were escaping. But you do hear a rumble, and we think it's going to be the creature, that big ass creature. And from the mist comes a military tank, <laughs> and a couple military tanks, and then finally, and, and, but and as the tanks are showing up, the mist is dissipating. Yes, yeah, yes. And then you see the um, and it, he wasn't yeah sorry he wasn't on the street for like hours. <laughs> this is literally like five minutes later. Yeah, like at the that's stretching it too, man. <laughs> so the tanks, oh. the, the the military tanks are coming, and one vehicle has passengers, and we see it. Well, then there's even soldiers walking next to the tank. That's true, and they're they're in, and they have uh, flamethrowers, and they're just killing you know the, the yeah. you know the. So ground. it's not even like they're afraid to be outside. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> and so the kicker, the real kicker, is that uh, some of the passengers on on that uh, was Melissa, Melissa McBride's character, the one who pleaded yeah, the first chick to take off, pleaded uh, to to someone to help help her go home, and uh, she made it. And uh, if someone would have helped, probably would have they would have made it too. Would have made it too. And I bet you, if I could, if we look back, there's probably a couple more people in the beginning that we saw. I thought there was going to be a lot of people from the grocery store there. Well, they, according to Frank Darabont in the original script, it was supposed to be some of some of those people in the in the grocery store. There was supposed to be some of the supporters of the religious group. Oh. It's, the only problem was because it was such a slow budget movie and scheduling was such a tight schedule that once they were done shooting those scenes, they the actors would have to leave. That they, they would have, have you know they they were on to their next project, so they they didn't well, they didn't have time to bring them back. And it would have fucked it up chronologically because they <laughs> ran out of the store, got in the car and took off and ran out of gas. Yeah. So if those people had time to get picked up by the military, load up and then take the same path, 
and they were driving slow because people were the soldiers were walking yeah that's true yeah yeah you know, yeah, yeah. yeah it would have had to been like hours and hours after he ran out of gas yeah this is in a way this is just a better it's just you don't need a, that much to 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 prove the point that that yeah. this is a kick in the nuts in the most <laughs> difficult dude, he way just, yeah to wait, if if they would have just sat and listened to the radio for 10 minutes they would have been fine <laughs> Uh, so this goes to show you when it seems like it's the end and you're going to kill yourself give it a couple minutes (laughs) you never know put on the game for a little bit (laughs) play get some break out some cards and play a couple hands of solitaire do something but i remember the first time watching that movie i'm going oh my god they did oh my god that's so fucked up and i can't believe that someone actually shot this and they got away with it and then you know they the studio allowed this producers allowed this to happen this because everybody had that same (laughs) fuck you oh man that was awesome it was like horribly awesome (laughs) yes like god like fuck yeah it is the kick in the nuts man (laughs) jesus but it's so cool it would be such a different movie i don't think i would have liked it as much if it didn't have it yeah i I still liked it but I, yeah, I would have was, definitely yeah. appreciate for what it was trying to say at the time and, and about the, you know, the divisions of, of America and all that stuff. But because it has that, you know, gut punch, it just makes it a the much better movie. Yeah. yeah, it makes, a, it, makes awesome. it, it makes it even different than other monster movies of that time, you know. And that's why I say it. This is probably the best monster movie, creature feature of the last 20 years or 25 oh, yeah. years. I, I could see that. There's a very strong argument for that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> So that's our thoughts on the mist. We love it. Watch it again for the second, third, fourth time. It's it's fucking great. And like I was saying, it I think it has a deeper meaning now that we have gone through the pandemic, and you know this these imagery holds much more sway to what we think now. And so I think the movie's getting better. It, it has a, a a resonance to 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 what the movie was trying to, trying to convey back then. Yeah, you probably watch it every couple of years to get a little more out of it. Yes, like, oh, and hopefully, yeah. you know, hopefully we get to a point where we're like, oh, it co- goes back to that science fiction, you know, like, oh, look how crazy we were back then, because <laughs> now it's hitting too this close to home. <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a little scary, a little too. What, what do they call it? Uh, on the head. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that was uh, the first episode of our new series of horror movies we're going to be coming back with more horror movies we're going to be leading up to halloween uh and probably beyond i think we're going to start just doing more horror movies and so i hope you enjoyed it new episodes every now and again <laughs> uh, hopefully we could like spit out a couple more episodes before halloween we know what the our audience wants so we're going to get it to them all right, thank you for listening to Tarantino's. Uh, again, we're available on every platform, so please like, subscribe. Uh, if you like this podcast, you like what we're saying, listen to our previous episodes. And yeah, tell a friend. Yes, tell two. Invite them over for, like, listening parties. <laughs> <laughs> or just tell a friend. If that person could tell another friend and those people could tell friends, and pretty soon we have five listeners. <laughs> Yeah, if you do like a listening dinner party, we go well with the cheaper foods, Taco Bell, McDonald's. Don't get any high-end shit like Panera's. We don't mix. All right. Uh, thanks for listening. Okay, thanks for listening. Last words, uh, Angel? No, I mean, just give those you might also like movies a chance when you're watching a flick that you really enjoy. Okay. All right, thank you for uh, for listening. Thank you, everybody. Have a good day, and bye-bye. Bye, guys.